You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome back to Enemy of My Enemy. Uh, we took some time off. We had some ghosts, uh, some hosts. We had ghosts too, but we're not talking about those. We had hosts gone for a variety of reasons, and there's just no replacing Lou and Brian, but they are back. Um, gone for very wildly different reasons, but we're just, we'll just be happy that they are both back. Today, I've also got Sam Whiplinger, and we got Jacob, who's going to be on here in just a moment, Jacob Winograd. You may know him as Jacob Daniel because people know his name incorrectly more than they know his name correctly. Uh, so we are back. Obviously, it's been quite a break, uh, and we're going to be back with a very hot topic. So hot, in fact, that this is going to be a two-part episode. Now, if you are watching live, you are going to get both parts live right now, and you are going to hear it back to back. However, if you're listening on the podcast for the sake of time because listening to two hours of people bickering... It's just a little too much liberty for everybody. Libertarians usually cap out at about an hour's worth of bickering. We're going to break this up into two parts. So this first part here, we are actually going to give our uninterrupted feelings about the Mises Caucus takeover. For those who uh, aren't in the political sphere, the Mises Caucus, I believe the only thing that they that, that they said didn't work out for them was getting Whitney, the chair dismissed immediately, but even then that ended up happening. So we're talking a perfect 100% total slate victory for the Mises caucus. They now have control of the libertarian party uh, fully. And so uh, have all the LNC positions staffed, passing resolutions, changing planks, doing all kinds of stuff. And we are going to give our full feelings about the Mises caucus. And I keep doing this saying we'll never do it again but the thing is is everybody wants this conversation and i am nothing if not a host of the people um i do ask for everybody listening because i'm seeing we do have a lot of viewers that uh i just want everybody to please come at this with an open mind um regardless of who you are coming in agreeing or disagreeing with look nobody's neutral in the mises caucus okay we get it You've taken your point of view, and you have very good reasons to take that. To take that. Point yeah, what's of view an open have. mind? I mean, I'm in a cult. Yeah, that's well. So this is this. I'm trying to speak to your people, Sam, without saying it. But yeah, no, I'm kidding. I mean, I don't you care people. what your you people, you whiteies, <laughs> oh, white hey, male straight people. Driving wait, Hody, too many syllables, too many syllables, less syllables for the MC. Come on, come on. Okay, <laughs> all right, me do show. Me debate big. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we are all, uh, I'm just asking everybody to come in with an open mind and just uh, whether it's me and believe me, I want you to dis to agree with me that otherwise I wouldn't be having a debate. Right. But um, if it, regardless of who you agree with or disagree with, just give everybody a fair shot. Right. I just want, everybody to come in and just kind of kind of understand some other perspectives if i have any regret from my interactions uh it's me condemning the entire mises caucus without like really talking with some of them and understanding their walks of life i now have i still dislike the mises caucus but um 
it's something that like I wish I had taken more time to understand their perspectives first. And so I think at least understanding the perspectives of the other side is going to help. Uh, we have way too many shows that are just like, oh, they must really just hate liberty. And that's why they are what they are. And that's true like 0% of the time. It's a fun thing to say, but it's not really true. So uh, here we go. I'm going to get us started here. I'm giving everybody about 10 to 12 minutes on the clock. And uh, so again, there won't be any interruptions or, or heated debate, I guess I should say, for this first hour. In the second hour, we are going to, uh, we are going to have audience questions, uh, concerns. I've got a few written down. Feel free to ask anything that you want to ask. And if it's a really good question and not a totally idiot one that makes you look obviously biased, then you may have it read on the show. As you can tell, I'm maybe somewhat frustrated about the quality of the questions I've had so far, but I'm, I'm open to getting a few more here. So I'm going to focus on just me, just me, just my face, and everybody else can go away. All right, so my thoughts on the Mises Caucus takeover. As everybody knows, I don't like their culture, and that is, I'm, that, that's not something I have been quiet about. It's not something that I've made my entire personality. In fact, if I go back and I check my posts, I probably have like less than eight posts actually talking about like the Mises Caucus, but the times that I have talked about it is generally been unfavorable. Uh, for me, this is way more than about left wing, right wing. I find that the liber that the Mises Caucus in some cases tends to be left wing on some issues that are just fine. Um, for me, this is all about the tribalism, the hero worship, and the cultishness that goes on from them. Now, I don't know if cult's the right word. I've done a few debates about this. In one, the person I debated with said they prefer the, that that to think of themselves as tribal more than cultish, and some they prefer to think of themselves as hero worshippers more than cultish. For me, the cult thing comes about because of what's called the fair game doctrine. Fair game doctrine is uh, was identified by L. Ron Hubbard and, and Scientologists. He actually decided to name it the fair game doctrine, uh, but it has been around for a while. Um, and it's something that he kind of identified that successful cults are able to do. And what it is, is they demonize somebody who's not part of the Borg for things they ordinarily wouldn't say to people that are inside of the Borg. So, for example, you may notice that there are a trans people and gay people inside the Mises Caucus. Now, why is it that they don't get called... Uh, boy, I, I don't, I can't say the slur because it's going on YouTube, but an F word, uh, you know, homosexual F word slur. And yet the people outside the Mises caucus do. Why is it that Audrey had such a great support when she came out as trans inside the Mises caucus and did get legitimately great support from people in there. And yet the same people supporting her that I saw on the posts go out of their way to talk to my friends that don't like the Mises Caucus and tell them that they're insane, that they have mental problems, they don't like them. And this is because of what's a fair game doctrine. If you're a critic of it, now it's all on the table, even if it's something that you don't necessarily believe. These kind of fluid beliefs represent themselves in a few different ways. Um, you can look at uh, uh, Ryan Dawson, who blatantly posted a video and it had a Zyklon B thumbnail. And it, I believe it was called like, it's them every time or something. Now you can go, he changed it. You go in the way back machine and see it. Everybody, 
everybody came out of the woodwork because he was, you know, hanging with the MC folks to be like, no, this didn't happen. You people are crazy. Get a life. This is this isn't real. He did. He decided one day to issue some critics criticisms on Dave Smith, another member of the Mises caucus. And what happened? That's the moment that all of those accusations became true. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, wait, isn't this the guy with the Zyklon B video? Isn't that the liar who said he never did it? Isn't that the white supremacist? None of that was true until the criticism was levied at the Mises caucus. And there are just moments, you know, like this. And my goal here isn't to go over every sin of the Mises caucus, because frankly, I find that if you're going to start naming sins, you need to have a very long list and you need to be prepared to look at both sides of the aisle. And it really doesn't end anywhere that you think it will, because when you start going through dirty laundry, you find more and more and more dirty laundry. Um you know, here, here's the thing. We have one person saying, you know, hey, you know, a leader, Angela, who who I enjoy. I don't mind mentioning her name because I, I tend to like Angela. But even she will see something that's like talking about how like positive towards the GSM community and say, hey, I'm sorry, world, that you saw this post. I think she said the post got ratioed, even though it was the Libertarian Party's most like interacted with posts ever. And then said, you know, when I take over like this, this messaging will be gone. And then when uh, a certain Jeremy Kaufman from uh, New Hampshire decides to say that black people owe America, um, she, she says, you know, what do I do when people say something I don't agree with? Well, I try to see where they're coming from and try to understand why they might say something like that. Now, here's the thing. I am fine. With that reaction, <laughs> I, 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 some people might just say, no, I outright condemn as soon as I see it. You know what? I like the idea of trying to walk a mile in their shoes and try to understand where bigotry comes from, why it pops up. You know, condemning stuff, and I'm going to go into this in a minute, really has not gotten us much of anywhere successful. But why was the energy different when it was being nice to the GSM community versus telling Black people that they owe America uh, a debt because of their... Uh, because their slavery here was just so fortunate to them. They're not good at handling criticism. Um, back when I was supporting, and you can go in my profile pictures and see I supported Joshua Smith for LNC chair. Uh, he was having a debate. He was intoxicated. He was not doing a good job. This was a warm-up to the actual debate. And I said, hey, maybe he shouldn't drink because he doesn't do a good job when he drinks. He doesn't handle his alcohol very well, I don't feel. I was supporting his candidacy at the time. And what happened is I had Joshua Smith and Michael Heiss say I was parroting hearsay, I think it was, and like just just one of these trolls and whatever. And I, I mean, I still supported him all the way until things kind of bottomed out. But the thing was, is that I was like, man, you need to be able to tolerate some positive criticism. It's not that the other people don't drink. It's that you do a bad job when you're drunk. Right. And I mean, that was, again, some of the excuses was, hey, the other guys drank during their debates. And why shouldn't I drink? You know, well, because you do a bad job and it was a legitimate criticism. And the problem is, if you can't handle legitimate criticism, you're probably not going to be the right person to run a political party because I make mistakes constantly. And I get it. Nobody like loves it. There's a lot of people who say they love it. They don't love it. Nobody loves to know that they've messed up, but we should at least fall in love with the process of saying, you know what? I understand what you're saying. I disagree, but I'm going to get better, whatever it may be. I have a thing with the Mises caucus where I cannot reconcile with them. 
This is not a thing where I can hold their hands and be like, kumbaya, and let's just get over our differences. Because my entire philosophy is love first, love aggressively, right? Like, let's, let's put that love and let's make that strong. I want that to be our leading thing. I want that. And it's just not their tactic. So even if I agree with them on 90% of the issues, and I probably do, their tactic makes it so that I there's just no way I'm going to be able to work with them. I left the Libertarian Party about two years ago now because I just can't do it, right? Like I couldn't deal with that. I could see they were taking over. They're making it a very hostile place for me. If I'm bringing people in, I don't want it to be a hostile place for them. And that's that. That being said, I'm going to end with some positivity here for the Mises Caucus gulp much as I don't like to do it. The LP opened themselves up to this. They fired the first shots. When we had people from the Mises crowd, even just institute before they were like a full caucus, they were very hostile to them. They would bring up the worst parts of their past, make sure everybody knew it. There was not a welcoming, hey, let's, hey, this part sucks. This part's great. We chose instead to try to capitalize on their worst parts and throw them back out, as opposed to taking their best parts and bring them in and incorporate that. When you do this, and this has been my issue for a long time, when you get into the habit of condemning people in the sense that you just cast them out, I'm fine with condemning bad behavior or even groups that you can't stand, but when you cast them out and hope they go away, that's not how toxicity works. When there's something toxic in the water, you can't just flip it off and hope that the water stops being toxic, right? You have to deal with it. And so instead of dealing with it, the hope was, hey, let's just drive these people out and they'll go away. Well, they didn't go away and now you bow at their throne. <laughs> they are now in charge because you attacked them. There were squandered opportunities under the old Libertarian Party. It was weak. It was embarrassing. They would go from saying, hey, we're not in charge of messaging to suddenly say, hey, this is a Libertarian Party. We're, we're just getting people elected. We're not in charge of messaging. But they would choose to message from time to time with the Libertarian Party account. And the message that they would do, they quoted the Church of Satan on Easter. They talked about silence being uh, a, what uh, a complicity or like, there's that one that, that, that basically was equivalent Consent. of like... Yeah, silent is consent. That's it. Silence is consent. Which you've ever been uh, sexually assaulted? Um, no. Yo, you know, permission is consent, right? So this is this is some of the ineffective messaging. And then they say, well, we're really not messengers. We're really. Let's not pretend that they weren't corrupt and dishonest either. I talked on this show a little bit about the dishonesty that I dealt with the LNC. I was hosting these debates. It was for the benefit of the LNC because getting our debates public was, was great. They wouldn't even share it. But you'd look at the stuff they would share and it was either unpopular or really just kind of weak, flaccid, uninteresting, right? And people don't want uninteresting. And to the to the Libertarian Mises Party credit, they, are, they could put forward the furthest right-wing person they have in that caucus right now and they are not going to find somebody that was further right than Bob Barr and Wayne, Wayne Allen Root. I dare you to check either of those people on social media right now. That was who your moderate, pragmatic, weak-willed, boring people gave you, was Bob Barr and Wayne Allen 
root. Remember that, because when you look at that, there is nobody in the Mises caucus that is further right wing than those people, right? When I heard about the treatment of Nick Sarwark towards the other LNC members, I called them personally or messaged them personally. As many as I could that were on social media, I didn't want to go above and beyond, start looking at people's numbers. And I said, hey, just let me know. Did Nick ever make you feel uncomfortable or like, you know, like if you didn't vote a certain way that your future was in jeopardy with the party? And three-fourths of them said yes. That's a sick thing, right? A lot of people recognized that he needed to go, okay? As well as, and it didn't just end with him, even though people still make excuses for him and his behavior. Oh, it's politics. You got to play dirty. Well, don't be mad that the people who also play dirty do it better then, right? If you've been making excuses for dirty politics and here comes some more dirty politics, well... This is the bed that you made, and you're going to have to sleep sleep in it. I want to end with this. I am genuinely rooting for the LPMC to succeed and blow my mind and to just do something that I will say, wow, I didn't see that coming. You guys proved me wrong. I want to be wrong. I am genuinely rooting for them. I don't believe they will succeed. I have established the reasons why I don't think they will succeed. I think they are founding a revolution that is not led with love, but is led with an anger, an angst, a, a boomer-ish kind of upsetness with the world. And I don't believe that it, that is going to work. Now, they're talking about how they resonate with more Americans. And you know what? Given the old regime... I understand why they might resonate with more Americans, but will they resonate with enough to make a change? I hope that they blow my mind and they succeed. I've had a lot of people tell me, hey, this bigoted thing, we're just kind of riding it to try and get the people out of the way that are being like wokesters, that are be the lefties that are kind of in my way, right? But now that they're in charge, Maybe they will all of a sudden be like, hey, that old messaging, that was just to get the people we didn't like that were hampering us out of the way. Well, I was one of those people, so obviously I don't love it. But if that's the way you view it, fine. I hope that it works. I'm just telling you why I don't think that it will. And I hope that uh, I, I, Sam and Jacob are about to, to talk about it here, and I hope that they're right. You know, I, I really do. Um that's my thoughts on the subject about the whole LPMC takeover. Thank you for giving me your time. I'm going to now tune things over to my buddy, Brian, uh, because he's got some things to say about this as well. And then we're going to tune things over to an LPMC -er. So I know, I know I'm, I'm terrible for allowing it to happen. Brian, go ahead and give us your unadulterated, uncensored thoughts about the takeover. You know, I, the thing is this, is that um, I was brought into Liberty uh, coming back uh, for really just before the Johnson Weld campaign. So I don't have the pedigree that a lot of people have here. So I'm coming at this, I want to say, from a mostly um, really newbie standpoint, uh, looking at the history of the LP and understanding what's been happening. But the other thing is that I come to it from a sales perspective. Um, and I know a lot of people go roll their eyes at that idea. But my job is to find new customers and bring them into the fold. And if I'm doing that well, I'm not only making more money, but my company's more successful. If I'm doing it poorly, 
I'm pushing customers away and I'm making less money. But that that really is the goal of the LP. In this case, it's looking at getting more voters who are customers essentially into the LP fold and to win elections. Um, we like to talk about, you know, promoting liberty being, uh, you know, a bit more ideologically pure. But in the end, the LPs here to win elections. And that's why we're all supposed to be here. Now, looking back, when we talk about Wayne Allen Root, we talk about everybody else. Were those successful campaigns? And for the most part, yeah, I mean, you could put it as saying is that well compared to a third party. Yeah, they may have been. But when was the LP the most successful? And really, that comes into the time frame that I came in mostly into the party, which was the Johnson Weld campaign. Now we can talk about Bill Weld in a different podcast. But Johnson Weld was the most successful campaign for a third party candidate since John, you know, Ross Perot or John Anderson going back several years. And we did it with way less money than what those guys had. But when you look at that success, you see the other side here that gets angry enough saying that they were not libertarian enough. You know, what is Aleppo, bake the cake, things like that are trigger words to a lot of people inside the libertarian party. So we've always fought that, uh, at least as far as I've been in the active in the party saying, you know, we need to be better, more ideological, et cetera. And I think we tried that in 2020 and things did not get better. Things got worse especially in a time where we were dealing with two terrible choices. I mean, first of all, the election that we probably should have won um, with Trump and with uh, Hillary, uh, the worst presidential candidate and the second worst presidential candidate going up against each other. And then in 2020, we had the third worst possible presidential candidate available. Those should have been layups for us. And even if we didn't win, we should have grown the party and grown our vote. But we saw it decline. And why did this happen? Well, we talked about the confusion inside the party. We talked about there's no strong candidate. And all that leads to not enough money. And in, in elections, if you don't have the money, you're not going to reach voters. And it's just going to fall apart. And this is where the LP was the strongest. When it offered a sane alternative to Democrats and Republicans, it fails when it's ideologically focused. So my next point is going over here, looking at this, and I'm getting to what, what's going on with the Mises Caucus and the takeover. We want to look at growing this election base. We want to start getting more people interested in the Libertarian Party. And I'm going to bring up an analogy because it's an enemy of my enemy. I have to bring up a Monty Python skit because it's required by law. Um, there's a scene um, where John Cleese uh, goes into a cheese shop. And it was obsessed with being the finest cheese shop and the cleanest because it was completely uncontaminated with cheese. Now, it seems like, Brian, where are you going with this? But... The idea here is this. What are we trying to be? The finest and cleanest possible party whatsoever, ideologically driven. Are we trying to be the best and most popular? And that's a good question to ask with what's going on with this takeover. Who is our base? Our base currently is a bunch of libertarians, anarchists, occasional podcasters, and people who know what the Judean People's Front is. But our target market isn't more of that. 
Our target market is outside of the Libertarian Party. It's independents. It's disaffected Republicans, disaffected Democrats, or what we like to call normal people. And I know that's tough for Libertarians to understand sometimes, but that's really a good base of people to go after. So looking at all this, all the conversation of the takeover that started last year, moved into this year, obviously, are we attracting those people? Are those people coming into the party and saying, wow, these are the people I want to elect? Well, unfortunately, the numbers don't reflect that. We are seeing membership numbers down significantly. We know that there's a lot of negative press on various items, uh, the infighting within the LP, removing bigotry as part of the plank. It generates a lot of negative attention. And unfortunately, libertarians are really good at doing that. I mean, when just as I mentioned the Aleppo things and things like that, that unfortunately, we tend to be very good at creating our own negative press. And of course, the, the mainstream media just picks up on it and runs it because they want to appease their uh, political overlords, et cetera, et cetera. Anyhow, I'm not really meaning overlords, but you know what I mean. So we aren't seeing a big draw of people. So, and I'll get to more of these numbers here in a second. So far, the takeover has not really had a big effect on bringing people in. We've seen the exact the opposite. We've seen we're pushing away existing libertarians and we're confusing the people who are our new customers. And because of this poor understanding of how our, how we come across in the media and on social media and everywhere else is really driving people away. But finally, I'm going to get to the one that every libertarian loves to talk about, and that's money. So let's take a look right now. How is the LP doing right now? Um, poorly would be probably generous. Uh, the LP is in really bad financial straits when you look at it overall. Um, since the takeover started, uh, we have seen a drop in not only memberships, people not only not renewing, but also people canceling their memberships and also a drop in donations. Now, I know the Mises Caucus talks about that they have over $200,000 in new business, lifetime pledges. But that number is not actual dollars yet. It may be at some point. It may come in, but those are pledge numbers. Those aren't actual dollars that come in. And so when you compare those lifetime pledges that came in of 154 new members compared to the revenue that we lost with losing those donations, those existing members and donations, it's not even close. So we saw 154 new lifetime members come in and we saw about 1,100 existing members let their membership lapse in the last month, in the last year. And overall, we have a total of almost 20% drop in membership numbers. Now, if you're running a business, and you say, hey, these, this guy's coming in. He's going to come in and take over my business. And I trust him. And I think he's going to do great. Even if you spin it really well. If all of a sudden I say, this guy's coming in. And I lose 20% of my customer base right off the bat. There's going to be some questions there. That business is not going to be successful. So in conclusion on that piece of it, let's look at this. The LP is in really bad shape fiscally. And the takeover right now is nowhere near a net gain. If anything, the Mises Caucus has its work cut out for them 
because it's going to have to get that $200,000 in the coffers as soon as possible and probably double in order to not only run the LP, but then to be able to also be able to participate in elections. The other ones I want to throw in is when a business is taken over, you want to keep the people who know how things are working. And yes, you want to go through and get rid of, you know, this person wasn't running it very well. We want to go ahead and get somebody in. But you don't want the smart people to leave. And you can make comments about people and what they do. But we're seeing lots of resignations in various committees. And as most people know, running a political campaign is a nightmare legally. We are opening the LP up to all sorts of havoc in not complying with state and federal standards. And when you look at that and the problems it's going to cause not only for the LP to exist, but in ballot access, we are in some dire straits on that part of it. So in conclusion, what have we, what problems have been solved with the takeover? The purpose is still fractured or the purpose of the LP taking of the takeover was to be able to build and grow the existing base. Unfortunately, we're still seeing this as a very fractured mess of a base and the infighting that we've seen going on. Leadership, honestly, has seen far more interested in righting prior wrongs than to growing the base. Your new customers, the ones that you are going to bring to this to the LP, are hearing fractured messaging, conflicting statements. I heard in one conversation that people wanted to listen to reach out to disaffected Democrats and in the same sent in the same wording. And I'm glad we got rid of those woke LP members because they were just not real libertarian party members. That is a little confusing. Along with that, that process alienating existing members, because I want you guys to remember one thing from sales 101, a happy customer might tell one or two people about their experience. A pissed off customer is going to tell at least 10 people about their experience. So again, with that in mind, remember the Mises Caucus is counting on this large spike in lifetime membership, but those funds are still outstanding. They aren't been delivered yet to the coffers of the LP and the losses that have happened because of the existing revenue and donations dropping far exceeds what that promised number is. So it's not too early to see. The LP is in really bad straits. I hope they are successful, just like Hody said. I want the LP to succeed. But right now, the current situation, which you can blame on previous leadership and things like that, right now, this is what the Mises Caucus inherited to a point, but it's also what they made. And without significant growth in capital, the LP is going to have to scale back operations. And if I recall, 2022 is an election year. And that, as I said before, without the money, you're not going to win elections. Thanks so much. All right, let's flip to the sunny side of the LPMC takeover. We got Sam Whip of the uh, of the Black Flag podcast. Right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I've been on it. It's a fantastic show. Y'all should stay tuned to it. I just figured I'd just throw him a bone there. 
uh sam and pals i got to talk barbecue on his show it was delightful uh so so sam mouth-watering yeah for it, sure. oh my goodness yeah hey we yeah. are smoke ring masters sam you and me I, uh, I, ex- 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 this sounds ex- sexist brian? to me oh Excuse i'm me? sorry not not cutting you out either brian smoke ring master I was going to say, you should have seen the tri-tip I just did. I mean, I ate that thing cold, and it was delicious. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll have to get together and talk. We'll cry over. Yeah. Just the tip, though. Just oh, the, my god! Just the tip. All right. Well, we were being too mature there, obviously. So, Sam, get us back on a professional track. Give us some bright side. You're part of the LPMC. Talk about the takeover and all your feelings there. Oof, yeah, there's smoke coming out of my my pen writing down everything while you guys were talking. Um, First of all, I am not the spokesman for the Mises Caucus or anything like that. They've got professionals for that and people that are really great at that, and I'll just throw that out there. Um, Maybe I'll just kind of go in reverse order a little bit. Um, Well, no. Okay, so the reason what brought me into the Mises Caucus was actually they were arguing about intellectual property. Someone told me in another group, so I just joined the the group not knowing anything about it and it was honestly the culture that brought me into it um i was a big fan of like the words and numbers backstage facebook group and i still am they're one of the nicest groups they have an amazing culture they just talk about things and keep things very kind their their slogan is literally be nice to each other um so yeah i i I got really into that and then um it was like I said, it was the culture that brought me into the Mises Caucus because there was something different in that group than I'd seen in other groups. Um, there was a lot more passion and a lot more um, just sort of fight in those people. It was a little less of just, oh, the state is so bad, blah, 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 theory. It was more like, how do we address this? How do we fight this? And stuff like that. And so that that's really what got me motivated. Um, so, I, th- I mean, I think about things like the drug war. You know, you think of all the people who are imprisoned. We have the world's largest prison population. I think we half of all prisoners are in the United States um, that, for victimless crimes. And that's just terrible. And you think of, like, health care, um, the, all the regulations and stuff like that. If you listen to Mary Stewart, what, whatever her name is. Mary Rewart. Mary Ruart, thank you very much. And she does very good speeches on just like how much the government has influenced our health care. And you think of all the death and, you know, the people dying of suicide and, you know, diseases that could be cured and could be helped just because we're propping up, you know, drug companies and all this stuff. And um, I think of, you know, I do a lot of driving for my sales job and I look out at uh, the cropland and stuff and I think of like, how much different it was or how it could be if it wasn't so much uh, subsidies for like corn and soybeans where we're just because the government is unnecessarily pumping money into our our food system we're just growing these crops that aren't of good value and you know we're throwing corn syrup and all of these things and we're putting chemicals on everything and kind of ruining the soil and you think of like all the wind and solar and all the different types of energy that aren't being properly utilized. And it, it's just a complete mess there. And you think of like the wars. I mean, the absolute slaughtering of like millions of people and the starvation and destitution. And then, you know, even just our vets, the people who, who 
who have died, um, then they come back and we're lucky if they don't just kill themselves because of how terrible it is over there. And you're probably wondering why I'm bringing up every libertarian talking point real fast, but it's because that's kind of the focus of the Mises caucus. I think we get into a lot of, like, he said, she said. We get into a lot of the drama of, you know, like, you know, so-and-so wrote 12 books and speaks nonstop everywhere, but he said this one thing that was very concerning, and it's like, oh, well, I don't really care. I'm kind of out here to address all those things. And, you know, someone will accuse me of being either or. It's not either or. Like, I I think we of all people understand that... um, we have limited time and we have limited resources. What are we spending those things on? And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the people who are very concerned with drama, very concerned with, you know, the he said, she said stuff, those are the people that have the most drama. Those are the people that see it the most and it, it sort of surrounds them in their lifestyle. And I think it, if we are to develop a culture, it should be a focused culture um, on what you know we're trying to accomplish and everything. Um, so, and then I'll go back through. Like I said, I was just scribbling different notes. We'll see if I can pull this off. Let's see. Okay, the Ron Paul Revolution took over a party with a chair who hated us. Um, let's see. We have the smart, uh, the smartest. You know, we talked about kicking smart people out and not. Um, keeping them around that that's just not true we didn't kick anyone out and we've been warm and inviting to anyone who's willing to work with us on those goals um the, if you look at the lnc i don't know if you've watched like their clubhouse presentations or anything like that from the mises caucus these are overwhelmingly brilliant people i was very impressed by all of them um as far as finances like we literally just took over the lnc I, you cannot blame the people who are not in charge for running the party into the ground financially. You have to blame the people who are in charge. And as far as marketing, like it was our marketing that brought people into the Mises Caucus. Like the Mises Caucus didn't just come from nowhere. We marketed it. We said, hey, Ron, we're the Ron Paul revolution. Come join us. Join this party. Let's take it over. And we outmarketed the, the Gary Johnson people. Or the, the, the more, I mean, the pragmat, pragmatic caucus doesn't even exist anymore. Like, th- because they weren't pragmatic, we were. We knew that strong messaging, being, you know, we say bold, but really what that means is just being honest and unashamed of what we're saying. And so we're the people who brought in and competed with, uh, in the marketplace of ideas. We beat them out because we know how to market. We know how to do all of that. And the... The last thing I'll touch on is, you know, you think of like Dave Smith and, you know, all these people. If if there was someone, a libertarian, more popular than the libertarians in the Mises caucus, we would immediately change our messaging style to mimic what they're doing. I mean, we're, we're not doing anything terribly um, reinventing the wheel or doing anything terribly brilliant. We're just like, hey, these guys are out in front, people like Ron Paul. Let's do what they're doing. Let's stop doing what uh, some nobody in the Libertarian Party is doing. Let's do what they're doing and actually market to people, market to people in a way that actually resonates with them. So uh, I guess I'll just end with that. Um, 
we we got a, a giant job on our hands. Uh, I I liked what uh, Dave Smith also said. He said we're not, you know. He said we're in boot camp, and he's like, wait, wait, we're not even in boot camp. We're on the bus on the way to boot camp, and we're not even to the place where we we're in battle yet. And I think when we took over the LNC, it's like for the first time, you know, we can actually just kind of look outward a little bit more and just start addressing the state. And so. <clears throat> Overall, I'm very excited, and I think we have, you know, three to five years to see if we can market um, libertarianism or to see if libertarianism is truly marketable in large scale, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Awesome. Thank you so much, Shannon, for sharing your views. We are going to take a brief break before we get to our two hottest speakers, spicy hottest speakers. So stick well, around. We are the most uh, attractive ones here. That's well, I was obviously talking purely about looks. And actually that that could be the case. Sam Bryan and I we're trying. We're lifting, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You got the, the glasses going. Anyway. Broncos hat doesn't help. I'm sorry. Um oh, oh snap. Are we gonna talk barbecue and sports? Are we gonna talk Mises Caucus takeover? Because I will get I'm sidetracked so before. quick on this. All right, everybody, give me just a second. We're gonna take just a second, just a little break here. Please hang tight so that I can get paid and then you can go back to listen. Give me one moment. And welcome back from the break, everybody. As promised, we got our two. <laughs> I won't say best because I mean I spoke and I'm pretty good. Brian is saying pretty <laughs> good, too. but uh, probably the people with the two hottest opinions on this one for last. Uh, we're going to start with Lou. Lou, your feelings on the Mises Caucus takeover uninterrupted? Oh, I have all the fifis on this. Um, <laughs> I uh, oh I like there's so many things and I don't want to repeat um, a lot of what you and Brian have said. However, I think for me, the my biggest issue is that, you know, anytime I would speak with somebody, you know, from the Mises crowd um, and be like, okay, well, tell me what it is that is so good about this. And, you know, they would list off, well, our economic policies and our this and our that. And um, Sam really... Uh, touched on a lot of those things, uh, particularly Sam. I do have a lot of respect uh, for you as far as specifically as it comes to um, your um, environmental activism. I, I, I mean, you live and breathe it. That's what you do for a living outside of politics. You know, we're finding better ways, you know. So I'm not going to say that, you know, every piece of Mises is wrong. But the problem I have is that it's messaging and leadership is basically the two core problems. Um, you know, as much as I hear that from people when I ask about them, I don't see that. I don't, that's not something I just, oh, hey, there's a Mises thing and they're talking about environmental issues. That's great. Or anything like that. What I see constantly is hatred and bigotry and homophobia and anti-Semitic and uh, racist commentary constantly from leadership. Um, and if it's not specific to that, it is vile vitriol at people who dare criticize them and their dear leaders and their demagogues. And, and much like, um, much like Hody, I, Lord, forgive me. I was a huge Smith supporter. He was a friend. He stayed at our house. He, 
I hooked him up with my best friend and they dated for a while. Um, we all know how that went. Um, I've personally been witness to the abuse. And I am so sick and tired of the white knighting for somebody who is a grifter and a liar and an abuser. And we've, I've personally seen it. There is insurmountable mountains of evidence of proof of this. Um, but he somehow manages and God bless him. He's a very good speaker when he's on his game. Okay. Um, but so was Hitler and a lot of terrible people. And I know everyone's like, oh, she made the Hitler. The point is, you can be a great speaker. And he's got that good baritone that draws you in, right? Um, but the reality is, him and the vast majority of those in leadership who are supposed to be representing this group are absolutely hateful, nasty, nasty people. And, you know, it's very clear to me, and, and I've seen it said even by leadership in the Mises Caucus, so I really don't, like, you can be like, well, that's not true, but I'll never believe it because I've seen it with my own eyes. Oh, God, ew, to that comment. Anyway, sorry. Um, I just, <sighs> I hear that there are good things, but I don't actually see them in action. And for a few years now, oh, we're not trying to take over. We're not trying to take over. We've all literally read, like, the leaked memos from Heist about plotting a takeover and, like, literally how they were shoving delegates through, like, cattle to get it done. You know, you're not fooling anybody. Like, we're very aware of what the plan is and was, you know, and then you've got McArdle putting out memos to the new LNC about how there's going to be a change in messaging. And all I can think of is everything that Kaufman's ever said. And it's disturbing. I got to go back to my notes because I just get emotionally mm, about it. And I know that a lot of people like, oh, it's an emotional response. You're goddamn right it is. I have put in nearly a decade and thousands upon thousands of hours and dollars into this party, into this movement, into candidates all across the country. I have sacrificed my time with my family I have sacrificed time that I could have been actually making a living <laughs> because I believed so strongly in what liberty in our lifetime looked like and that I could actually do something to help that. And um, seeing this is just, it's heartbreaking, right? So while there may be issues that you like, um, I, very rarely do I feel like they're ever at the forefront, forefront of any effort made by this caucus. And I use the word caucus very uh, lightly because when you really dig into the legality of all of this, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced and, and, and Hody and, and Brian know that, uh, I exactly, it's a pack. 
It's a pack. You cannot, when you follow the paper trail, separate the two. And when you have that intermixed with an officially recognized political party, you are begging for trouble, especially when you go back and look at and really fine tooth comb through the finances of the Mises caucus for the last, I don't even know how many years. Um, numbers of false reports or this wasn't done in the right way at the right time. You know, and a lot of times it's, oh, well, you know, it was their first time doing it. It's an easy mistake to make. I get that. Politics, especially like when it comes to the nitty gritty and the paperwork and the filing and the blah, blah, blah. Like it, it is difficult. Okay. That's, that's why I have never, ever volunteered to do any sort of finance, anything for any campaign or candidate or anything. Cause I don't want to mess up. It's not my strong suit. And I respect those who do it when you're good at it and you're honest. But what is happening with this sort of intermixing of this caucus pack and the party is going to kill the party. It will. It absolutely will. Well, the FEC is going to have a field day with this. And I'll, I will be completely surprised if we actually manage to get a presidential candidate on the ballot in 2024. At, at this point, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and I'm not saying that the previous, you know, edition of the LNC was great because it really, it was a total shit show. Everything that happened on the previous LNC was just stupid, right? Because we elected a bunch of children. Um, and apparently we reelected one of them. Oh, great. Good. So, and she's, the next two years will be all about her. You guys have to know this, right? Um, yeah. So let's see. Let me go back to a couple things. <laughs> oh, Hody made a comment also about dealing with toxicity, right? And like ostracizing and all of that isn't. But um, I see it as cancer. And if you hit it with chemo and radiation and it doesn't look like it's moving, you cut it the fuck out. It's got to go because it will kill you. And it did. The LP is no longer the LP. It's the MP. Okay. It is the Mises party, period. And I don't want to be associated with that. Um, I don't care what some website says in their little bullet points about these are all the happy things we believe. Because in my experience over the last decade, face to face working with these people is what they have, like their outside appearance is not who they are. And, you know, Sam and I, I, I do respect that your real specific issues to you were like economic and um, victimless crimes and environment. I get that. But let me tell you, there are places out there that are doing the same or more that you don't have to constantly apologize for the hate that your leadership is spewing. They are not the only raft in the ocean. I just can't rationalize how I know people who are kind and good hearted. And yes, I was referring to Harlow's. Okay. Harlow's was somebody who was a friend of mine. Like we sent gifts to each other and I don't know what happened over the last year, but I'm not going to get into that. 
Um, I do feel like the more she got involved with Mises, the worse it got. And I don't even know her anymore. And it's sad. It's really, really sad. Um, again, the fish rots from the head. And with McCardle and Smith and all of them running the ship, they're going to run it aground. Um, and I think it's really sad. I really, really do. Um, let's see. I uh, One of the things, and I'll get into this more later when we start our debate, because this is really a conversation I want to have with uh, Sam specifically. But I think, and there are multiple instances where state parties have been harmed due to the collectivism of Mises, right? It's you focus on our goals or else at the expense of state parties and down ballot candidates. And I've watched it happen and it cannot continue to happen. Um, yeah, I, you can say bold and honest messaging, but again, the only messaging that really gets seen is the shit messaging. And now we've literally handed over Nationals social media to these people. I am not excusing any of the terrible um, messaging that came from the previous LNC or prior to that even. But two wrongs don't make a right. And, you know, I there is sort of this right wing... Uh, swing back against more left-leaning policies. I I see we all see it happening, right? Obviously with abortion and things like that. And so I can't say this is surprising. It's part of the reason I didn't go to Reno this year. And I'm so sick and tired of well, you weren't at Reno. I don't need to fucking be at Reno because I've watched this coming for a decade, I have been at conventions and worked my ass off. I don't owe you anything, okay? It doesn't matter. And it was all live, like, uh, I'm just not going to do it anymore. I have, over the last couple of years, watching this happening, um, you know, I've stepped back and I've dedicated more time to specific or local issues and my family and my career and what I want to do and what makes me happy in my lifetime because with the MC at the helm we sure as shit ain't getting liberty in our lifetime at least not by this boat so cool. uh Lou thank you for that all right let's end with he's here He's Jacob Daniel. Jacob, your last name's Weinecker. Now it's actually Jacob Daniel on the thing. Now I think I have it wrong. <sighs> I thought you were Jacob Weinegrad. My Jacob name is Daniel. Biblical Anarchy. Okay, I mean, I just right. I don't I don't I don't have a name. Did you actually change that? Is there was did you file with the state? 
Yeah. Dude, I ain't no fucking statist, Brian. I ain't no statist. I don't need the state to tell me what my name is. Screw you, man. All right. Let's get, Jacob, let's get your thoughts uninterrupted, and then I'm going to wind down the show, and then I'm going to wind back up the show. So, again, if you're watching live, don't go anywhere. Submit any comments or questions. We'll take your ones that I feel are the most hinged, so please keep that in mind. Jacob, go ahead, buddy. Close us out. Yeah, I, I tried taking notes, and I gave up. I mean, they're just too much i mean going last after like four other people spoke is just not a good position to be in to try to address everything um so um for those who don't know me my name's jacob uh, i've been on the show before i'm a state organizer for the mises caucus in the state of pennsylvania and i've been like a loose member of the caucus since maybe 2019 but i didn't really get uh heavily involved until 2020 and you know, I've had a little bit of a, I don't know, up and down uh, roller coaster <laughs> these past two years. Um, I think people who honestly know me, I think Hody could vouch for me on this, know that I am not a, uh, you know, I'm not somebody who just follows marching orders. I'm, I'm very opinionated. I'm very argumentative. And, um, you know, I'm very stubborn to a fault. Uh, and when I joined the caucus, I you know, I ruffled some feathers because sometimes my opinions and the things I said uh, didn't jive with what some leadership, you know, thought that I should be doing. And, you know, we, we, we had some conversations, we had some battles. Some of them were pretty public. Some of them were uh, in private, but um, you know, that I wanted to bring that up, you know, how I got into it. Um, what was, Largely because of, you know, during 2020, the, the lockdowns were happening and uh, I just I couldn't stand by and watch the LP continue to fall flat on its face anymore um, and, and see that some people who were running the party were actually uh, running smokescreen for this growing authoritarianism. Um, so I, I felt convicted. It was like I I'd, up until that point had been sort of a kind of anti-political anarchist who thought politics was a waste of time. Uh, but I always had friends in the Mises caucus. Actually, uh, I used to be um, a Bernie Sanders uh, supporter and a registered Democrat. And it's always funny when people, um, you know, some of the critics of of mine or of the Mises caucus uh, uh, will, will accuse me or the MAGA tards or or whatever. And it's always funny to me because I'm just like, I, I've never even been re registered Republican or voted Republican. My voting record is like Democrat, Democrat, LP. Um, and so, yeah, I, I voted for Bernie Sanders in the 2015, uh, you know, primary and, you know, reluctantly, you know, kind of, you know, closed my eyes and and hit the, the button for Hillary Clinton in, in 2016. Um but it was actually people in the Mises caucus who uh, converted me to libertarianism. And and so it was not surprising to me that I came in and in my sort of initial growing pains as a libertarian and then, uh, you know, coming from that left wing bias, uh, there definitely are some in, in, in leadership and within the caucus, you know, who have a have a right wing bias. And we, we've we've clashed at times. Um you know, now, as I've matured as a person, I've adopted some more right wing views. And typically when I'm on here, I, I represent more of a right wing perspective. But I, I try not to think of myself as ideologically right wing. You know, I view myself, if anything, 
you know, I, I lead first and foremost as a Christian. And, and you know, that's why my hashtag being my podcast, Biblical Anarchy, you know, that's kind of what I try to start from. Um, but if there's anything beyond that, I mean, I would say I'm I'm pretty you know, pretty much at this point, ideologically libertarian. I just, I just, I probably have some more, you know, right-leaning views on, on certain things. But uh, what Hody said at the beginning, I actually agree with, um, you know, I, I think, and I think in general, something that I find um, really weird about this conversation is that, and, and, and to be fair, it's like, there's probably, to, to be fair, some, some of the blame, uh, not all of it, I don't even think, and, 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 you know, I'm probably biased, of course, but I don't even think it's 50-50. But some of the blame probably uh, falls on us for how we market ourselves or how we represent ourselves or or whatever. But, you know, people like to act like the, the Mises Caucus is just like this ideological right wing, uh, you know, swing back or, or or something like that. And and to me, it just doesn't match up with my experience. I mean, the, the Mises Caucus um, has a very diverse makeup. I mean, first of all, uh, I mean, I guess there's sort of a, you know, a tone that national sets, but then if you go state to state, they're all different. I mean, the Texas Mises caucus compared to the Pennsylvania Mises caucus compared to the New Hampshire Mises caucus, everyone's favorite here. Right. Um, and I can't see all your faces, but I'm sure you're sure you're sure you're laughing or screaming at me right now. Um, so uh, every one of these state affiliates uh, of the Mises Caucus are are a little bit different, and the state organizers all uh, you know have have different argument arguments and stuff, and and different perspectives and and different even strategies based upon you know sort of what what the makeup of their state is, uh, you know, and we have. I mean, we literally have everything, you know, it's like I'm a, I'm a hardcore Christian. And at the same time, I, I've met uh, some militant atheists in the in the Mises caucus. Uh, you know, actually, a couple of times I've shared episodes of, of, of my podcast into the group and had people, you know, throw a fit and be like, you know, this is a libertarian group, not a Christian group. You know, we don't care what you think about your sky daddy and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, angry atheist, you know, kind of crap. Um you know, and so I said, we have Christians, we have atheists, we have agnostics, um, you know, as far as like, you know, religious beliefs go. Um, if we're talking about, you know, uh, other sort of demographic, uh, you know, di diversity. Uh, you know, we, we have people who probably yeah have more of a right wing conservative bend uh, to their background. And we also have people like me and others who, you know, have have come more from a left kind of background. Uh, we even have people who I would say kind of line up more with sort of a uh, you know, social progressive or SJW or quote unquote woke or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, views as, as far as social issues go. But, you know, how um, how do we all coexist under one banner? And, and what is that banner? And, and I feel like um, uh, people don't un understand that. And, and you know, to me, I think part of my opinion is that I don't think a lot of people look closely enough, but maybe at the same time we could advertise it better. I don't know that that's neither here, near the near uh, here nor there. Um, but the Mises caucus is a coalition basically. Right. Um, and, and I think it's not a coalition of right libertarianism. And I don't even think it's a coalition. It's obviously not a coalition of left libertarianism. I think it's a coalition of, of thin libertarianism. Uh, it's basically saying that we want to strip down the platform to the things that we view are the most essential and the things that we view are the most agreed upon 
as well as the things that probably are the most uh, prevalent in our society that we could probably get popular support from uh, non-libertarian voters on. And, and so that's sort of what drove the creation of the Mises Caucus Coalition and the platform that it runs on and the sort of ideological vision and strategic vision it has for the Libertarian Party. Um, now, to those who are kind of on the left side of the aisle, uh, they can sometimes perceive this as a you know right right wing pushback or right wing swing back because they'll see us going after certain you know left wing uh, messaging or planks or uh, or strategies within within the LP sphere, um, which which we do one hundred percent. But then you have people on the right. Uh, people, including people who used to be part of the Mises Caucus and then left because we weren't right wing enough for them, um, who you know who who are now calling us a bunch of uh, leftists and stuff because we're not going hard right enough. But you know we 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 haven't changed. This has always been the vision of the caucus. It's to say, you know what, within the libertarian within, within the umbrella of libertarianism, there is like the seventy to eighty percent that we agree on. And then they're, they're, they're 20 to 30 percent that like we obviously don't and we haven't made any headway in, you know, however many decades libertarian philosophy has been prevalent, at least here in, in America, uh, since the party's founding, it, you, 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 we could even say. Um, so when we do, you know, things that happened here, you know, like the removal of the quote unquote bigotry, not, not even the plank, just the removal of that line, uh, the removal of the abortion plank, the addition of some clarifying uh you know, planks or amendments to the platform uh, that were passed that, that you know, further defined, further defined property rights and what aggression is um, and self-ownership and, and, and those, those kind of things. Um, you know, those things were, uh, you know, th- those things were done to, you know, in, in a way sort of bring the party back to a, if anything, I think a more moderate, more, uh, center sort of like libertarianism that's not hard right or hard left. It's to me just thin libertarianism. Now to some people it's too thin, right? Because there are issues that they were super passionate about that they feel like we're not emphasize, em, uh, emphasizing um, or that we're, you know, downright trying to remove from the, at least from the forefront, if not entirely from the, the, at least the libertarian party's uh, strategic, you know, uh, and philosophical vision. Um, and, and I get that, but, but I think that, uh, obviously because I'm a member, I, I think there's merit to, to the reason that we did that. Um, it's because one for one, uh, certain issues are just so divisive that we're divided, you know, amongst ourselves on them and we're not going to really win, um, pushing those issues, uh, out there. Um, you know, I, I think abortion is one that people are upset about being removed, but, you know, it's important to bring out that the plank was removed, not replaced with a pro-life one. Uh, the, the Libertarian Party is not a pro-life party. It's just no longer explicitly a pro-choice party. Um, and I think this is fair because, uh, you know, you know, I think the American population, for one, is is really not, you know, uh, you know, it's. I, I think it's closer to fifty-fifty, but you know, this, depending on the studies you look at, it's kind of like, you know, somewhat around sixty-forty, uh, depending on how you define it, as far as pro-choice, pro-life. But even then, a lot of the people who would define themselves as pro-choice, it's like, okay, well, you pro-choice up to, you know, uh, 
20 weeks, 16 weeks, 12 weeks, 40 weeks, there's no uniform uh, vision there. So there's no uniform vision on abortion within uh, the, the American people and certainly not within the libertarian movement. So the removal of that plank was, you know, not to pick a side, but rather to say, like, you know, hey, we don't have this figured out. So if you're a pro-choice libertarian, you're a pro-life libertarian, and you guys don't agree on that issue, but we can come together and work on things like ending the war on drugs, ending qualified immunity, uh, you know, criminal re uh, uh, criminal justice reform across the board, uh, you know, bringing our troops home, uh, you know, ending the Fed or auditing the Fed or just, you know, even though they're, they're kind of pipe dream, you know, goals, but but trying to uh, bring economic literacy to the American public. Um, you know, these are the things that I think, especially with what's going on in the world right now, that we need to focus on. So, um, so I mean, that's so that was sort of like my defense of the Mises Caucus in terms of the makeup of it, and in terms of, uh, you know, I guess like a, a very quick summary defense of why I think our strategy is the right way forward. I, I guess what I'll end on is, uh, you know, the style and the approach by which the Mises caucus uh, took over. And then what do we, what, what, what comes next? Right. Um, you know, the Mises caucus certainly is not a monolith. And I think if you watched over the, the, the uh, if you were at Reno or you watched the uh, stream, you, you know, I think that was evident. Uh, and I, I, I would back, I would, you know, go to the bat for that one. If someone challenges me on that. Um, one thing that we're also not, you know, monolithic on, um, is like the, the whole takeover in the first place, because there were plenty within our ranks who that wasn't really, a, you know, something that they were in favor of. They didn't, you know, they remember the history of the party. They remember the Portland massacre. They remember that, that other people have come in with takeover rhetoric before and it's turned some people off. Um, at the same time, the takeover rhetoric fired up people because they were you know, really impassioned about the what they saw was a wasted opportunities in 2016 and 2020. You know, uh, I, I was chuckling when I was listening before I hopped on when Brian said that the 2016 election with Gary Johnson and Bill Weld was like the LP's most successful. And uh, I just have to strongly disagree because to me, it's like if if all we're here is to try to, you know, once in a while get a large vote turnout, that's that's meaningless. Um you know, we need to be not just once in a while when the duopoly puts up the two worst candidates like in the history of our country, uh, which is the real reason why we got a lot of votes that year. Um, you know, we, we need to do more than just be able to capitalize on those uh, instances where people will 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 vote one time uh, for a libertarian candidate. We need to get retention. We need to grow our base like some people think that the Mises caucus, like we like that we don't care about running elections. We don't care about uh, ballot access. Um, but I, I don't think that's that's fair because the um, way I see it is you can't put the cart before the horse. If we're going to win elections consistently, if we're going to be competitive consistently, we have to grow our numbers. And we're just nowhere close to being competitive. So we, we have to change our focus to growing our party and our movement. And then we can start to see increased funds and increased success at the ballot uh, um, on on the ballot. So, um, you know, what, I'll, I'll end on this: Was the takeover rhetoric the best path forward? It, you know, it's said and done. I don't, I can't go back and change it. I at times defended it, at times didn't defend it as strongly. But we're here. We've taken over. All I can say is now the Mises Caucus is in charge, and 
the LP sinks or swims based upon what we do. Um, and although there are some people who aren't totally sold on that, I appreciate the hoodies of the world, uh, the people who say like, you know what, I, I'm not 100% on board with everything you guys have done and said, but I hope you guys succeed. And that's what we're here to do. We, we're libertarians. We're not we're not MAGA Trumpers. We're not, you know, right wing extremists. We're, we're libertarians who had a, a different vision and a different, uh, you know, um, idea of the way the party should go. A lot of people resonated with that. And that's why we took over. You know, it was it, it wasn't an illegitimate takeover. We got the votes. So the party's made up of those who show up. Right. So that's where we're at. And um, I'm I, I think that we have the right people to take the party forward and to succeed. Awesome. Everybody, if you're listening to the podcast, you are about to hear us tune out. Thank you for listening this week. If you are watching live, stay tuned because uh, we have got the second half of this show where we will actually directly address each other and tell each other what stinky poopy heads we all are because we are mature libertarians and that's the best insults we got now. We're, we're going back. So uh, again, thank you everybody and for tuning in and we will catch you next week. Have a good one.